The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. We're coming to you from Salem, New Hampshire, and we are going to talk about the Canine Good Citizen yeah, Test did today. Did you have a tip of the day today? It's CGC day. It is. Quirky tip of the day. Get a CGC on your damn dog. What the pig? What is going what? on with you today? You got the pig over there. <laughs> oh, my God. He's bitching about how he's got to take long thumbnail picture for hundreds of episodes, and we've done this every time except today. The quirky tip of the day is, yes, if you don't have a CGC on your dog, you get a CGC on your dog. We uh, just were in New York this past what week. What is a CGC, Jess? A canine good citizen, <laughs> love. <laughs> um, we were in New York this past weekend visiting Noelle Nasca, and she has a nice facility out there called The Barking Lot, and they were doing CGCs the Sunday evening after we were done training, and we actually took a couple <clears throat> pet-throughs, and I did some uh, run-throughs of CGCs and everything. Maybe I'll post one or two of those on Instagram later. So we were talking about the importance and the value of the test, and Really, being in the dog industry for as long as we have been, any temperament test like this, whether it be like a CSAU for French Ring, what's the Doberman one called? I can't remember what it's called. But I can't remember Like either. they have specific Doberman temperament testing. Sometimes those they want like the dog to activate sometimes if there's a bad guy. Uh, the CGC, anything that is a temperament type of test is something that you should consider training your dog for because the more stable your dog's temperament is, like in a real world situation, the better your life with your dog will be in our opinion. Yeah, and it's a little more than a temperament test. I mean, there is some very, very minimal obedience required. And if your dog is, you know, pretty well-rounded, it may not seem like that big a deal to get a a canine good citizen on your your dog. But if you have a dog, for example, that has uh, dog aggression issues, and uh, you can get them through that test, it takes a lot of work, and, and it's certainly you can do it, but it's going to make your dog safer in public, around yeah. people, places, things. And that's the, really the importance of it. Not every dog is going to have this perfect temperament. They all have their pros and cons, you know, and you've got to work them through the weak stuff. And also with anxiety issues. Yeah, That definitely. tends That's, to pop up quite a bit yeah. in these so tests. Those of you who aren't familiar with the test, um, it's like meeting a friendly stranger. So typically, Noel did this, and Scott and I used to do this when we did our own CGCs as well. So, um, you know, the first thing is somebody walks up, shakes your hand, pets your dog, your dog should be remaining in a sit, and then kind of just checks them out for grooming. So looks at the paws, looks in the ears, puts a brush on the dog, makes sure that there's no aggression there. And that's like three items right there. But those items alone can be a lot for certain dogs, a lot. A lot of dogs don't like people reaching for their owners. Maybe they get territorial. A lot of dogs don't like being reached for if they, you know, aren't used to meeting strangers. Maybe they have some fear issue. Maybe they have some forward aggression. A lot of the stuff with handling is your groomer, right? You take the dog to the groomer. If the groomer's saying, you know, oh, we had to muzzle the dog or, oh, he didn't really tolerate this or, oh, we just put him a crate to dry him. Those are handling issues. So it exposes a lot of weaknesses right there. Then you have like a loose leash walking exercise. You just kind of go out for just some basic um, loose leash walking, but your dog cannot be pulling and you can't be having your dog drag way behind you and everything else. It's proficiency of a sit and a down and then a stay. I believe it's an either, but when we did them with Noel, we did a down stay. 
recall. Recall is super important. You know, you're a certain distance away. You can call the dog to you. And then these distractions, these visual distractions, these noise distractions, whether you're walking or standing, is your dog startling? And a little bit of a startle response is fine, but if your dog hears something unfamiliar, does it hit the deck and it, you know, can't do anything the rest of the day because it's that fearful? So it's evaluating temperament stuff in that sense. Scott had talked about the dog. There is a strange dog that walks by. So you guys, you know, kind of heal. We always had dogs on the outside when we did it. And that's how we did it this weekend. You heal, you stop in the middle, the dog sit, you shake hands with the stranger, you keep walking. If your dog's going to load up on any strange dog that walks into the room, you're going to see that happen right away. That might be something you train through. And what Scott's talking about with the separation is there's a three-minute period at the end where you just hand the, you know, test evaluator the leash and you have to leave the area. And I would say that that exercise fails dogs more so than anything else because it's hard, really less of a training issue and more of a relationship issue in our mind. Yeah, quite often the dogs will start um, whining, vocalizing, jump on the person that's holding the leash. Yeah. Um, not, it's not really tied in with aggression issues. It's just the dog is becoming extremely uncomfortable not when being, the owner is not yeah, right there not with in them. Not the presence of the owner. But that is a well-rounded dog, right? Like that's giving you more stability. The fact that if you leave a room, if you're in the vet's <clears> office <throat> and you, know, you have to go to the bathroom, if your dog can't function now because you left to go to the bathroom while they're handling your dog, that's something that you should address and that you should see and that you should hopefully potentially work through. Because dogs, we can't be there all the time. You may have a surgery, your dogs may have to stay somewhere else. The more we cater to them and the more we make them feel safe, the less stable I feel they are overall. We want our dogs to be bomb-proof, adaptable, dealing with anything that's thrown their way. And simply having a stranger hold their leash shouldn't throw them into some sort of crazy, you know, temper tantrum. Yeah, it's the kind of thing that you wouldn't notice if you always have your dog with you. You'd never see that there's an issue. Where it could pop up in a practical sense would be going to the vet where you can't go into the back with the vet tech. They take your dog and bring their dog to the back uh, into an exam room for whatever they're doing. And that's when that separation occurs. That's when the dog has a complete breakdown. And people associate it with, well, the dog's afraid of the vet. Quite often, it's not that. It's that separation just from you in general, which is causing the dog to get really stressed out. Yeah. And if you do, for some reason, have this issue with the three-minute separation exercise, um, and a lot of people do, it's not a big deal. We won't spend the whole podcast focusing on that. But we would recommend that maybe you do some crating with your dog at home. Crate them in another room than you are in. Uh, stepping on the leash is one huge go-to that we go for with anxiety. We often will just calmly step on the leash with our client dogs, not an issue whatsoever. If the owner returns, there have been dogs that have alligator rolled during that exercise with the owner, started nipping at the pants. They're protesting in any way, shape, or form because they would rather be (coughs) jumping on the owner, on the owner's lap, or something else, not being controlled in any way, shape, or form by the owner. And then the third way that we know how to combat separation anxiety and that's worked well for us is through a bad exercise. So those are our three go-tos as far as anxiety goes. And just getting out of the house sometime, having separation from your dog, you know, putting a gate up if your dog follows you everywhere. Get your dog so he can exist even if you are not there sitting there petting him all day, every day. Yeah. The thing with the other dogs, um, more often than not, it's not uh, aggression issues that's the problem. It's uh, over-socialization. Yeah. So your dog, every time when you go down the street, And I have clients all the time that say, 
you know, my dog, I don't want my dog to jump when we greet other people and their dogs. And what they're telling me is every person that comes down the street with a dog, they're letting their dog interact with, and they're getting a lot of poor behavior. They're not getting aggressive behavior, but they're getting this over-exuberant jumping. The dogs are getting all crazy with lack each other. Lack of control. Yeah, lack of control. So now you want to do a very simple canine good citizen test. And as this person and their dog is walking towards you, your dog simply can't contain themselves because every time they see a dog, they think it's going to be a big play date and a big fun time. And not all dogs are friendly. When you're out on the street, someone could be coming up with a dog that isn't friendly. And they say, hey, you know, we can't do this. And they veer away. But your dog is trying to drag you to the dog and is having a big temper tantrum because they can't go and greet this other dog. Yeah, and I want to unpack the dog thing a little bit more. So Scott's talking about aggression versus being overly social. So yes, that's two sides of the spectrum. You also have this this segment, I would say, of dogs that appear to be aggressive that are probably just fearful. Like they're fearful on a leash. They're fearful of other animals. You could be causing some of that. Like maybe if someone else holds leash, the dog doesn't have the same response to a strange dog. But when you're holding the leash, maybe your energy or your fear or your dog's protectiveness of you takes over. So these are the types of things that it doesn't necessarily matter why so much, but it matters how can we get from point A to point B. So if your dog is dragging you towards the other dog, it doesn't know how can we get some better control. If your dog is acting aggressively at the end of the leash, maybe out of fear, out of some true aggression, how can we quell that a little bit more? Because this is your vet's office, right? This is coming into the vet. Another dog's leaving. You don't want to have an issue happen. I just walked sink this morning. It's raining now in Salem, but this morning in Elliott, it was nice. I was out on the street walking sink and um, a little dog, <laughs> the poor guy, he, the, the little dog is, th- there's two little dogs in our street and like this. So they saw a sink and then one of them got loose in his arms. And then there's a flexi dragging uphill and this old guy's like trying to run behind and do this and everything else. That dog reacts like that to every single dog it sees on the street. My dog stays calm and controlled and everything else, but that dog's go-to is, I'm going to freaking kill you. I hate you. If that's your dog's response and your dog does that to the wrong dog, you could really get yourself in a bad situation, right? Like I can easily have my dog jump in my arms, pick up a small dog's leash, hand it back to the owner. It's not a big to do for me. But if your dog tries to show off or smart off or something to a dog that isn't going to take it, all of a sudden you can have a big dog fight that you weren't prepared for. So just being neutral on other dogs is kind of a lost art, but it's a very important skill to have. It is. It is. I think personally that everybody that has a dog should get a canine good citizen test. I think it's the absolute bare minimum uh, of control that you should have. And um, it's just, you know, like we talked about, just basic leash manners, sit down, come when called. And it's not even with any kind of big distraction. It's all in a very controlled environment. It's very contextual. It's not generalized behavior. Ideally, it would be that the dog does it everywhere. But typically, these dogs that do pass these tests, they only do it in the place where they took all the classes to get to that test and they do it in that environment well. Which is a hard thing to do anyway, right? But you can look for CGC classes. You can get a CGC evaluator to, you know, evaluate your dogs and pass the test. And the good thing about this test is it's not just based on training tools, right? So if your dog is better walking on a leash and a gentle leader or a prong collar or something else, you can't use these training aids, the front attached harnesses, everything else. You or just, food. Yeah. And you can't use food either. So you can talk to the dog as much as you want and, you know, encourage the dog and everything, but you can't just be having it follow a piece of cheese around. All right. When we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about insurance agencies and where you can find more info on the CGC. 
Does your dog lack self-control? Are you looking for some answers? Would you like your dog to be calmer? Does your dog lack confidence? Canine MindShift. Enroll in a free course today. Simply go to caninemindshift.com. That's caninemindshift.com. And Scott was mentioning before break, and this is true, it's normally a pretty controlled setup, and maybe it's the same facility that you've done the CGC class in and everything else. And that is awesome that your dog can do those behaviors within those walls and everything else. But ideally, your goal should be that your dog could pass a CGC every month, any place you are. Like, that's the reliability that you would want in the real world. So consider that, like, if it's been so sterile for you to pass the CGC and then that doesn't transfer to, you know, walking to the car or anything else, then maybe think, well, I want to kind of add to my toolbox even more so, so I can actually bring my dog to Petco and these behaviors, you know, are continuing on the, the, bring my dog to a groomer, let my dog meet somebody on the street if I feel like it and the dog's not jumping on them. So think about expanding that a little bit more so than just with the test, but the certification alone is beneficial for sure. And the experience is really what we're pushing. We're pushing the experience of going and doing some formal training. And then there's an end goal in mind. It's not that you just went and you just had some, you know, parlor behaviors that you did in the your house and it's over. Like, no, like you, you have passed a canine good citizen test that stands for something. Sure. I mean, the other, when you were at the vet, not this past time, but there was a time Jess was just paying for her services there and her dog was sitting in a sit beside her for a few minutes and people commented on how well behaved the dog was. That's just basic, basic stuff, but to that's us. a practical yeah. use of, Hey, sit, um, I have to run my credit card. I got to get these papers. I got to do this crap. And the dog should just sit there rather than just be completely disconnected from you on every level and pulling out to the end of the leash and, you know, let alone on a flexi. And that's where these dog fights start all the time. The dog is off eight feet away from the owner. The owner is looking at something else. And all of a sudden this fight breaks out. Yeah. You know? And then everybody thinks it just came out of nowhere. So I would say when we had our facilities, um, Scott and I are both CGC evaluators. He would do my clients. I would do his clients. Um, because technically the evaluator is supposed to be somewhat of a stranger. So, you know, we, we did these a lot and then we kind of had an influx because a lot of the insurance companies were catching on, right? So some of the more like dangerous breeds, if you will, that insurance companies have flagged in the past are Rottweilers, Pitbulls, um, even Staffies, Dobes, Akitas, um, Malamutes, I guess, I don't know. Have you seen a lot of aggressive Malamutes? The Husky breeds are all a little, yeah, little yeah, bit difficult. Yeah, a little bit snarky. Yeah, a Malamute and a Husky are both on there. Wolf breeds, don't even get me started on the wolf hybrids. Chow's purple tongue in your dog may have chow there. You, one of the few My dogs that bit Scott. It. One of the few dogs that bit Scott was a chow. Don't say your Malamo oh, yeah. was mixed with chow. That would be scary. Um, Great Dane, Presa Canario, and then a Mastiff. So those are some of the more breeds specific, like, Things that like insurance companies are like, oh my god, you own that breed. We don't want to insure you. Did, Some of me. them. Did you have German Shepherd on the list? It was not listed because they're that also list, on there yeah, too. All the get, shepherds now. Yeah, they do get posted. The Malinois kind of skates under the radar sometimes because it's just not a popular yeah, breed. Just less Thankfully. popular. But um, these insurance companies were either requiring a CGC or charging more for homeowner's insurance, and some weren't even insuring the dog at all. And there was an article from Nationwide, it was a few years ago, I don't know what they're doing now, but they were giving an incentive, no matter what breed you had, just to have a CGC on your dog. So there was a big influx, I would say, about seven years ago, where people were calling like, 
hey, we need this for our insurance company. And the way that Scott and I would do it is Scott would do private classes with that person. And then I would do the evaluation. We weren't so big into the group classes, especially with these dogs that, you know, were more concerning for the insurance companies and everything else. But working these dogs through handling and meeting strangers and holding a sit and not pulling on a leash, it sounds simple to some people, but it really isn't that simple to put it into practice. So it's an important thing to focus on and really try to see if your dog can do it and then try to see if you can replicate it because that's the whole freaking point of training, right? It can be eye-opening too. You Things will pop up with your dog's behavior that you've never seen before because you haven't put them in these different situations. Yeah. And you know? you know, a lot of people either get dogs and they want to compete in nose work or rally, or some people want to do agility with their dogs, whatever else. The CGC is a really good place to like kind of settle your nerves, right? Because if you're not familiar with dog sports at all, um, I don't really give much of a crap anymore when I do things, not that we get out and about too much. And what I don't do you think mean? you have bad nerves either when you trial. Were you real nervy? No, I never cared enough. Yeah. Scott's <laughs> <laughs> aloof about all things, but literally like it is a good kind of practice ground to get yourself like in more of a formal setting with your dog before you're in an actual trial and see, oh, wow, like my palms were sweaty. I was acting a little bit differently because, hey, guess what? Your dogs feed off of that too. You know, it was at least five years ago that mental management started coming out for like these high level competitors that like, yeah, you get to a world team or something and your dog is an amazing athlete and you're an amazing athlete. But if you fall apart mentally, it's the same thing as Olympic athletes. Like your dog dog senses that it's not going to be as good for your performance and everything else. So it's another good way to just kind of feel out your nerves and see how you do in more of a formal setting. Yeah. When people came uh, to me and specifically for a CGC, I would just say, let's run through the exercises. If your dog can do it, we'll, we'll just, I didn't even charge him. It was like they had to send 10 bucks to the AKC to get their certificate if the dog could do it. But more um, often than not, they yeah, couldn't. I don't think we had any dog that came in that could just do a CGC that needed one. Yeah. The people thought the dog was well-behaved, and the dog wasn't far off, yeah. but they couldn't actually do all the exercises and get it done. There's a difference between a loose leash and a dog that's you know slightly pulling but not pulling your arm out of the socket, and you can walk comfortably on the street. And the equipment stuff matters, you guys. Like If you are wearing front-attached harnesses and gentle leaders, and you're managing your dog in that way, once you take that away you may see, oh my gosh, their behavior is really different. But it was nice for us. We had some client dogs there and we were able to just, I worked them on flat collars and there was no extra equipment on them, no food. And like, let's just see what it looks like. And it gave the clients more, I guess, hope or, you know, more of a like bug up their butts to maybe want to do it with their own dogs themselves. And I didn't want to test the dogs. I want that to be a client dog relationship clearly, but I, we wanted to see what the dogs looked like. And it was a good experience for all involved. One thing I'll say about tools, um, probably the most underrated tool that you can use in the uh, CGC is your voice. Yeah. And people have such a hard time. Uh, they, they, they get all baby talky and giggly with their dogs when they're playing. But then when it comes to maintaining some attention from their dog, they have a hard time with that. Yeah. And you did that with these dogs when you're, when you're walking through. You're like, come on, let's go. And you can talk as much as you want to yeah. the dog. If the dog doesn't care what's coming out of your mouth, it's not helpful. But if you can motivate your dog with your voice, praise your dog with your voice, control your dog with your voice, that goes a long way. You yeah. know, and a lot of people they get inhibited. Yeah, uh, yeah in I front tell of others. I was telling someone last week to uh, praise your dog or say, even say the word heal, and uh, he wasn't saying it. And it's not because he didn't hear me. I think that there was just that little bit of 
being self-conscious about saying the right thing. I've had people that couldn't even say the dog's name and come. They got so caught up in, okay, I need to now, I have my leash, I have my food. They're overthinking. And I say, yeah, they're overthinking so much. You just yeah. said, just say, Fido, come. And they, and don't pull the leash before you say come. And they're just getting really caught up in stuff that's not that important, you know. But using your voice is a great way to get some uh, engagement well, with and your dog. Well, even, even Scott said that, and I thought he was going to go a different direction when he mentioned that. I'm pretty familiar with hearing with the clients or whatever else. Either we're doing the recall and... You know, especially if we're training on the beach, that's a pretty common thing in New England, right? Like everybody wants their dog to go on the beach. If you're on the beach and you're 30 feet away and you say, Fido, come, your dog can't hear you. Like it's, there, there's waves, there's everything else. So one thing I hear Scott frequently say is like, really use your voice. You don't have to be mean, but Fido, like make it so, you know, your dog can hear you. It's crisp, it's clean. And then another thing that often happens is the dog did something brilliant, like amazing. Maybe it like saw a bird and then the owner called it and it just turned and just whipped back and it got there. And literally the owner's like, good job. And Scott literally will be like, get on the ground. Tell your dog they did a good job. Like using your voice in a way that's like, oh my God, I love you. You're such a good dog. And there is an inhibition when you get out around other people I'm less inhibited around others. Yeah. That's just when, when how Jess, I was. When Jess, <laughs> how calls, I am. when Jess calls her dog at the beach, every dog on the beach comes to her. <laughs> when, when Jess laughs at the movie, Jess, Jess laughs louder than everyone else. This is just Jess. But if you are more inhibited in these different environments, like do it for your dog, right? Like how much will we sacrifice for our dog and go the extra mile for our dog and look like a freaking fool rolling around on the floor with our dog, you know, because it's our dog. So do it for your dog. Let your dog know, like you're doing a great job. I'm so proud of you. This is so awesome because that formal, like militant way that you may speak to your dog in more of a test setting is not what your dog is used to, so they're going to act differently. Like, it's very important that whatever you're rehearsing for your recall is what you're using when you actually want your dog to come. That's just the bottom line. Yeah, one of the reasons I use food a lot in the training is because the clients are not able to convey to the dog how happy they are about things. Yeah. By saying good dog, the dog doesn't even look at them. But <laughs> if you can give the dog a nice piece of chicken or some high-value piece of cheese they perceive that as, hey, that was pretty good. So at least, you know, we can let the dog know they're doing a good job. Yeah, and this brings up, and we don't have to get super into luring and everything else, but this does bring up that if the only way your dog is really walking nicely on a loose leash is because there's a piece of cheese on their nose, that isn't necessarily training. So if you were taught that method, that's totally fine. And a lot of focused healing is taught that way. And it's great foundational stuff. Like we've done it. We're all about it. It's not that there's an issue there, but that should then progress to the next step, right? So maybe it's something like, okay, now your food is just in your hand. You take two steps, then you reward. You want to get off just luring everywhere because even if that works for you in a tight spot, you're not always going to have food. Your dog may not always like the food that you have. And it's just not real world stuff. And especially if you're going to be going for the CGC, we want your dog to be able to do this in a test setting without food at all. So be conscientious of how much you're luring and how long you're luring and getting off the lure in some way, shape or form. I would say that that's pretty important to us when we're looking at training with our own dogs or our client dogs. Well, especially when you can't use food in the CGC. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you can't get out there and the dog is like, well, you don't have any treats. I'm not going <laughs> to pay attention you. to yeah. you. No, it's The true. dog has to work with you. So um, people sometimes ask, okay, where can I go find you? You know, we're doing the CGC. You talked about the CGC. I'm interested in it. I want to get out of the house, do something this spring. Um, I just typed in AKC CGC. This is an AKC sanctioned test. 
and the website popped right up, but the website is akc.org products hyphen services, um, training hyphen programs, canine hyphen good hyphen citizen. So give it a gander. There's some slashes in there too, but that page alone will tell you where classes are coming up, tell you where an evaluator is in your area and look at the local training facilities around you and see if they offer a CGC class. Maybe if you've already gotten a CGC, just jump into a class at another facility you haven't been to before and then just take the class just for shits and giggles to get the dog out. Dogs like to learn. Dogs like to use their brains. They like to be doing something and being challenged and everything else. And as frequently as we can, we go to seminars with our dogs. We go to classes with our dogs. We took all of our dogs this weekend to Noel's and we were working with our dogs because we like working with our dogs. It's fun. And if you don't like what's happening in a class, you should be able to say like, oh, I'm just going to you know, like hang back this exercise and feed. I'm not saying that you should be running the show and everything else. But if you're concerned about going to a certain facility, you're always in the driver's seat. You're the one paying for it. And if the best you can get sometimes is just sitting in class and feeding your dog to be calm on the sidelines, that's fine. It's your money. Do with it what you may. But talk to the instructors, get outside of your comfort zone. And just because like this is your training center doesn't mean that you shouldn't see what else is going around around you. Because the more your dog has experiences in different environments and is successful and you guys are like putting the pieces together and it's going somewhere, the better off you'll be. Yeah. And there's a lot of Christmas puppies out there right now that are, you know, coming up on six months or so. Yeah. And a lot of people, they do the uh, star puppy class. Uh, everybody seems to be enthusiastic about training their puppy and they do get involved in a class, but it tends to be the end of it. They'll yeah, do they like, peter off. they'll do an eight week class and then I'll see them three years later and I'll say, have you done any training? And they'll say, oh yeah, Star yeah, puppy. we did the puppy class. It was like <laughs> eight weeks, <laughs> but you want to add a bit, like I said in the beginning at a bare minimum, get this canine good citizen test under your belt. At least it's, it shows you actually did something, uh, more than just attend. Because most certificates you get in these puppy classes and all dog training classes, if they give something at all, it's just an attendance certificate. It doesn't mean your dog did anything. It doesn't mean your dog accomplished, uh, showed proficiency in anything. It just said, good job. We're glad you came. Here's your puppy certificate. Yeah. You know, so you want something that is showing the dog was tested because like we're learning with the homeowners insurance companies, also these condominium associations, sometimes they're requesting... Uh, that if you're going to come in with a dog that it has a canine good citizen, it's just showing a basic level of control and an assessment of the temperament. And yeah. and the other side of it is if your dog did bite somebody and and you showed that you've gone out of your way to get a canine good citizen, you're doing all these things to be a responsible dog owner, it can get the liability off of you also rather yeah. than you're just some... It can give you a better chance. Like yeah, with your discussion I mean, with the animal control officer, you at least have taken some steps and some action. Like that has happened pretty frequently in our career in New England together the past decade or so where like the animal control officers are working with us like, hey, like can you help these people along and like take action, right? We need to take action in the world. That is what we need to do in life with ourselves and our dogs in the world. So literally, if there's anything that is holding you back from this, ask yourself, well, what is it? And if you just think, oh, it's stupid, my dog can do that, legitimately go online today, look at a video and see if you can do it in the backyard. And if you can't, push yourself a little bit, give yourself a little bit of a goal, step outside your comfort zone and expand your dog's toolbox. Yeah. I was just thinking about if, you know, not to go too far down the road about, you know, your dog biting somebody, but sometimes your dog <laughs> can nip somebody. A lot here. Well, sometimes your dog can, there can be a nip. It could be a child that runs past your dog and that prey dry kick 
prey drive kicks in, your dog may bite, bite the kid in the butt, and yeah. it never happens. And you wind up having to go to a dangerous dog hearing in your community, which I, I would think that'd have to be the worst thing in the world you got to do, where your dog's life almost is hanging in the balance here. And if you can show up and say, hey, this, is, this was a one-off thing, we've done the canine good citizen test, the dog passed with flying colors, you can show all of these positive things, it really can go quite a long way yeah. in helping you get another chance and be able to get on with your life, you know? In addition to continued education, like this is a thing that's happening right now. And especially with all of these things that are available online, continue, continuing your education. Scott took a Songtown music class when he was playing the guitar a few years ago. He had community there. He's taking an art class. There's ways to continue education for people, and so many people don't utilize that. Continue your dog's education. Just because they enjoy doing what they're doing with their life and they get out for a nice walk and everything else doesn't mean they don't want to learn, you guys. These dogs were put to be man's best friend because they want to be using their brains, they want to be pleasing their owners, and they want to be doing something. And it doesn't have to be a job-specific something, but learning is something. Tricks, these little CGC exercises, all of this. So think about doing it for your dog, if nothing else. Yeah, and I would say that quite often you'll find when you start getting into some obedience and some of these type things that your dog, you'll get pushback from your dog because if they don't think it's you know a real fun experience, they're like, oh, I don't want to do it. And and you want your dog to be happy and the dog doesn't seem happy having to do a long down or whatever the case may be. But just doing nose work and happy, fun stuff all the time, uh, that's all good stuff, but you should actually have some reliable obedience. Yeah, and that is dog. a good point to bring up as a closing thought here, that if your dog... Um, does kind of give you some resistance with control in whatever way, shape, or form that is. It stops eating. It maybe puts its ears down. It's not as happy. And by control, I mean just the fact that you're like, no, 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 we're actually going to do this. Yeah. Like, just because you don't want to, like, we're actually going to go through the door. Or we are going to hold the sit until you're released or something else. Any semblance of control. If you see a little fallout there, the dogs are normally 10 times better for it working through the control. Their confidence goes up. Um, th- what they're able to do with their life, where they're able to go, how they're able to process stress, maybe some autoimmune issues clear up. Like we're <laughs> seeing a lot of crazy stuff, especially I'd say the past three years, like stuff that I didn't even know was possible. So taking your dog and saying, you're a little bit uncomfortable there, but I'm going to work you through this and it's okay. And by discomfort, I mean that the dog literally had to sit for 30 seconds instead of the five seconds that it wanted to. And you can just keep like Chinese water torture. Nope. Sit, sit, sit. Finally, see if you can get your 30 seconds. Dogs are stronger. You're building them up. Like I think it was last week. Make them a warrior. Make them a warrior. Let's make our dogs warriors, right? Like I don't want a dog that's just shaking behind the couch its whole life. That's not fun for me. That's not what dogs are to me. I would say just getting your dog in the crate. A lot of people, yes, they never one. use a crate yeah. because if the dog doesn't want to go in on his own, they don't put the dog in the crate. And if they had tried to help like the dog punishment. in once or twice and the dog naturally showed some opposition reflex yeah. to you controlling them, they're like, oh, the dog doesn't like this. We're not going to do it. And the dog wins in that case, but also is becoming, you're reinforcing insecurity when yeah. you do that. The dog may not need a crate. That's not the point. Yeah. I want you to go in the crate. You're going to go in the crate. There's going to be times in that dog's life when it's going to need to be crated. It could be just some little paw injury where the dog has to have, you know, have real limited movement. Things happen. The dog has to go to the vet. Dog's going to be in a crate. So the more the dog is used to being handled by humans and having to take direction from humans, they're domesticated animals, the happier the better, they will be. Yeah, and the better it is for you, 
your friends, your vet, your groomer. If your dog goes to daycare, the daycare attendance, the better it is for everybody. And that is a brilliant example. The crate is normally the first time the dog protests. They win, and then they just start protesting everywhere. So we're not trying to put major pressure on you guys, but we got reinvigorated. We were spending the whole weekend at a training facility. Congratulations to all the barking lot dogs that did pass their CGCs. We saw a lot of noble citizens coming out and being very well-behaved. A lot of real good training there. Yeah, yeah. We had uh, a lot of fun. It was nice for us to get out and train again. We, again, have an exciting spring coming up. Um, We are excited to bring you a bunch of guests and a bunch of new ideas. And in the meantime, keep it quirky. (coughs) He remembered. Bye, guys. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.